Welcome to Conversations with the Authors. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Conversations with the Authors. I'm your host, Daniel. I'm Daryl. I'm Sandra. And I'd like to thank you all for pressing the play button and tuning in as always. I'd like to thank Alexander Nakarada for the music which he provides uh, every episode, which I'm just a big a big fan of. Uh, today we're going to talk about, uh, and remember, this is not a TED Talk, this is just our opinions based off of uh, writing experience and, and so forth. Today we're going to talk about a balancing act. We're going to talk about navigating the fantasy world and reality in writing. And, and you are Eric Hoffer nominated, uh, highly rated fantasy sci-fi novel, How Nicholas Became Santa Claus. You did this. Uh, but uh, Nicholas is not strictly based off of a reality figure. I mean, you took liberties with his story for real so uh how did you decide then to uh, blend uh fantasy and, and fiction together you know i i really think that it was uh a necessary part for the story because we had to have enough reality so that people could relate to it but it was a fantasy right right and so and we had to do that Use our imaginations and take things beyond what one might consider reality. Right, because you, Sandy, were exploring, uh, as the book entails, how Nicholas became the man we know him to be as, as, as Santa Claus. Correct. And though there's a, a shred of truth behind Nicholas and his his Catholic sort of beginnings, uh, that's basically where the reality ends. Uh, so why was it important for you to sort of, you know, stop the buck there, so to speak? Well, because the experiences in, in, and curiosities of children, mm-hmm. they you know, th- are mostly, you know, they, mo- they mostly think everything is magical. I, I like the way we, we did it. You did it and, and the things we thought of because it was fun. It was fun. <laughs> it was fun. I mean, I mean, we we live in reality every day. Every mm-hmm. day, uh, we have to contend with reality. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we do as human beings, we try to escape that a little bit. You know, whether we uh, we muse, we dream, we watch a movie, we we read a book, we want to get away from that. I wanted to get away from it, and I think it was a necessary part of this story. And then, and that sort of. That sort of answers my second question a little bit, uh, which is um, why is it important to strike that balance between uh, fantasy and realism? Why, why not go all in one way or the other? Because there's a point where if you're going mm-hmm. all the way fantasi- fantastical uh-huh. mm-hmm. or all the way fictional, mm-hmm. you get to a point where you say, come on. I think what we wanted to do was make the story believable. Right. I was believable going to say, and relatable. I, I, I was going to say that that's sort of what makes it work. It's kind of like going to Disney World, right? Exactly. Um, there's this, there's this escapism that happens. I mean, when you go to Disney, I went for my very first time, you know, just just recently. recently. 
And uh, there is this escapism that happens. You know, I my whole adult life sort of <laughs> disappears into this fantasy world created by Disney uh, and the corporation. Uh, and while there's realistic elements there, there's also this fantasy there that really lends itself. It, it, it bridges the gap, so to speak. And I think that's, that's like you were saying, Daryl, I think that's what makes it work, is that there's a little bit of reality to anchor everything to. It makes it comfortable. It's, it's almost like a transitional point, too, you know? Right. It, mm-hmm. it, but but having both elements makes it comfortable. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when it comes to crafting realistic characters, uh, and we've talked about this podcast before, but for our new listeners and readers, uh, how, how do you approach character development to make them uh, relatable in uh, fantastical settings? Well, I, I think you have to, with some of your characters, they... they they are alive mm-hmm. already. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the secrets in, in writing is that you want to have your characters learn and grow. Right. Okay. Whether it's a, a, a hero or, or a villain, they, they change. They go from point A to point B. They're not static. Right. And they, you want to make them interesting. Your imagination mm-hmm. is like an egg. Right, right. Your character, your your location, your entity is born in this egg, and it pecks itself out mm-hmm. a little bit at a time, and it peeks out and says, uh-oh, this is a brand new world. Right, right. Now what am I going to do? And you follow that growth. And also, uh, we were talking about you know reality being sort of this anchor, this sort of bridge point, this transitional point. I think it allows us to infuse characters with, you know, authentic emotion and, and reactions and that grounding and grounding them in the human experience, uh, even within the magical surroundings of the Orphic Forest and the Five I Kingdoms so. and such. Uh, so can you provide an example of, with no spoilers, of course, of a character whose who's who's realism enhances the fantasy elements in, in how Nicholas became Santa Claus? Yeah, I, I think I was thinking about uh, one of the characters, one of the dragon characters, Amaral, for instance. Amaral. You know, because a it's a dragon, mm-hmm. but we he has, uh, he has a somewhat, sometimes contentious relationship uh, with... Uh, with his with his, with his parents with mm-hmm. his with his mother mm-hmm. and all, and they have their difficulties and they have their things that they're similar on, but we can relate to that as human beings because we have parents and we've had uh, our own share of di- difficulties. But he's a dragon, right? You know, and you know, and he's and he's 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 not a full grown dragon, right. as a matter of fact. You know, I was it reminds me now of. Um, but I can't remember the date, but uh, years ago there was a, an animated film that came out called Final Fantasy. And Final Fantasy, uh, the film, not the game, but loosely based, um, was ahead of its time because the characters were CGI, but they looked so realistic. 
Right. My point is, the reason they looked realistic, the reason they had that realism to them is because they had flaws built into them. Right. And I think, to your point, Daryl, what makes it real is that Amaral didn't have, doesn't necessarily have this perfect, shiny relationship, you know, with things. And neither do on any of the characters in the book. It's nothing is perfect. And and it's that imperfection that makes these characters (laughs) perfect. You know, it's that, it's the thing that, it's the flaws that make them real. Uh, And I think that's also what helps Mm -hmm. the audience resonate with these characters. Um, So what challenges did you face when constructing the fantasy world that still feels authentic, like we were talking about. Trying to get some of the non-human characters mm-hmm. to have enough human characteristics that they were recognizable, but not overly done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so you agree? With, do you have anything to add on to that, maybe? Well, you know, it's, it's just like... Uh, our character, Mr. Crahi, who mm-hmm. uh, is a bird, right? But he is—he is—he's uh, an enchanted bird, and uh, right. we made him as human as possible, you know, for a very good reason that you find out later in the story. But he was relatable, and you could feel right. his pain, you know. Right. So it sounds—it sounds, it, it sounds yeah. to me that you're what you're implying is that uh, it's a meticulous process. To strike Extremely. a balance between fantasy and reality, to uh, ensure that even the fantastical elements, you know, are you know, you know it, and it, such. It made me think. I was sitting here thinking about that, and it's just like uh, in, the, in in Avatar, mm-hmm. uh, and these uh, alien beings mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, reminded me very much of uh, Native Americans right. and, and some of uh, their behaviors and beliefs yes. and such, but. <clears throat> And and they were they were completely invented characters, right? But they had to be real enough right. and have an angst enough. They had to have love enough. They had to have uh, uh, problems enough that we could relate to right. and we could empathize with them, right? Which can, you know, can they had to be ha- have all the emotions and foresight that we do to interact with each other and. and so, right. you know, a human being has a, has a limited repertoire of emotions. And we, we, we express laughter and, and tears and surprise and, and puzzlement and uh, all these and many, many more. Uh, but out there in the, in the universe, who knows what other emotions there are that we have no uh, concept of. Uh, but we couldn't give those characters those emotions, number right. one, because we didn't know what they were. And, and number two... We couldn't relate right. to it, you know. And uh, and I guess again, that I suppose that sort of answers uh, my next question. If you can elaborate on it, um, is is how does the fantasy world reflect or comment on the real world? And it's interesting you mentioned Avatar because that idea of their lands being destroyed is reminiscent of the plight of the indigenous people the Europeans and the colonizers and such, uh, as, as it is with a lot of other people around the world, 
uh, and it's, it's something that we can relate to. Whether we speak the language or not, understand the culture or not, we have an understanding of what it's like to have your home taken from you. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing with the oddlings in our story, because the villain in the story is... Well, he's kind of a absconding with the the oddlings' magical powers. Well, you know, he was using them as a resource, right? You know, like you would anything that you you would dig up out of the ground. Instead of uh, considering uh, their sentience, right, right. Instead of asking for, he just he just just took it. took it. it. That he, as, as many people do, when, Certainly as many when they interact right. with other nationalities right. and, 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 and cultures, cultures who, right. they, they they consider that they might consider right. not up so, to their. I mean, again, status. there are, there are these universal themes, and you know. Which allow us to reflect on sort of contemporary issues, you know. In a way, fantasy sometimes helps us to deal with, understand, or contemplate uh, issues that we're dealing with in reality that we couldn't otherwise confront, mm-hmm. perhaps. So, what advice would you give writers who are attempting to blend reality and fantasy? Read a lot. Mm-hmm. Read a lot. Use your imagination and. Uh, uh, Put uh, curb your uh, your inhibitions. Right. You know, so. Don't be don't be afraid to pretend mm-hmm. to to play mm-hmm. to use your imagination. Um, if you get stuck, ask your kids. Right. <laughs> I would say that writing uh, and trying to incorporate. Fantastical elements and balance, you know, reality is uh, kind of like a soup or a dish that you're cooking. From a chef standpoint, you don't want to dump all your seasonings at once. You want to start off with a strong foundation. In this case, perhaps start off with a strong foundation of realism. Your case might be introducing who Nicholas is, uh, or you know, in, in Avatar might be introducing what the plight of the people were. And then slowly introduce those other seasonings, those other elements that right. make ta- that make it fantastical. Well, you know, it's it's really building up the story, just like uh, right. if you were listening to classical music and and uh, and the music uh, began to build up, it it built it would build to a crescendo, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's like in the fight scenes in in the story, a lot of them are are historically drawn from. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there's only so many ways that a human being will fight, and so we draw that experience to try to, to make our characters mm-hmm. uh, battle. Um, Much in the way you play chess or checkers, there are patterns that need to be followed, and you're making up patterns for your, your new individuals. Sometimes you can come up with some unique things, though. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I have an idea of questions that uh, I want to pose to you, and I really don't have to do that because you're sort of answering them as we go along. (laughs) It's it's a well-guided conversation, I suppose, Um, because I was going to ask you if there were specific techniques you employ, and you were saying it's like building up a story, you know. Um, 
So how do you approach incorporating cultural or historical elements into a fantasy setting without sacrificing the fantastical nature of the world? With consistency. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you in your mind, you kind of set a, a, a... You have a basic set of rules that you'll follow uh, for whatever culture that you're inventing mm-hmm. or that you're exploiting, and you follow that. You know, I mean, there may be at some point that you want to break the rules a bit uh, because you want to also give that element of surprise or change or make that plot twist something you don't expect. But those Uh, elements are driven by your outline. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In most cases, I think you would agree. Yeah. So when building a fantasy world, how do you decide the realistic details like what to emphasize and what to change or what to omit it depends on what i want my character to do yeah mm-hmm. it depends on that it depends what on which, where, what direction you're going to take your story what his his what it's the character's part is what his role is what he has to do what his outcome is supposed to be is he supposed to survive or not survive mm-hmm. um absolutely it's when introducing uh, fantastic elements, how do you ensure that they don't overshadow the existing aspects of the story? By having somebody read it and and check it, mm-hmm. and then give it to Daddy and have it read it and check it. Mm-hmm. Or it I back, read it back to mommy. Who gives it back to me and I read it yeah. and check it? Well, you know, you read it out loud. Reading it out loud makes it real. Yeah. And then you can determine, is this real conversation? Is this, this is sound contrived? Uh, does it go overly long or not long enough? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in your, in your opinion, does striking a balance between fantasy and realism influence the pacing of the story? It can influence it can. the pacing. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. It can. Because I think that striking the right balance contributes Mm-hmm. To the dynamic pacing. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think... re- don't be afraid to cut too. You know, sometimes when you're writing, you have you fall in love with something you've written, and you really might need to cut it. Right. Because right. I've right. read things, and I'm this is going on overly long. So I'll go in and I'll start cutting. And don't be afraid to put it down for a few days, and then go back and read it. Because you can read something and you think it was uh, Shakespeare. I mean, but it was too long. Or, or it, that's often the problem, not too short, but sometimes it's often too long, too long and you got to cut it. This has got to go. Just like an editor when you're, when you're who's making a film. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of film on the cutting room floor because it was just overly long. I suppose that, that goes along with my next question, or perhaps my final question, which is how can writers avoid common pitfalls when navigating uh, this kind of balance? Well, you you take it you take the story out of your mind. You've already put it on page, but it's still kind of in your mind until you read it out loud and somebody else is listening to it, right. including yourself. Right. Because we yeah. can be a little we can be a little biased towards our own yeah, we can. writing. You know, right. oh, that sounds so great, like Ralphie from the Christmas Story. You know, right? <laughs> yeah. In the in this world of AI, don't be uh, afraid to have yeah. your computer read it to you, and don't be afraid not you know to uh, to not completely use AI for anything. You really trust your ability to do things because I feel like sometimes that's the only way to really learn and grow is to um, write your own stuff. I'll tell you, as a dyslexic, 
I had never, I never, when we wrote the story, I'd never heard of AI. AI wasn't really a but thing. No, it what wasn't. What I, I did know is that there was a program that was offered for dyslexics uh-huh. where you could type right. and then it would read back what you typed. Mm-hmm. And there were a few times when I had it reading, the computer reading back to me. And I stopped and said, I did what? Right. I right. can't put that in there. It's, it's just garbage. And yeah. Then, and then I listen, I had Daddy listen to it, and Daddy said, yeah, I agree. And he took right. it out. Well, dear listeners and readers, whether you are reading it yourselves or reading it via a computer, uh, if you want to check out How Nicholas Became Santa Claus... You can visit our social media at facebook.com, Troop Books. You can visit our Instagram at Troop Books, our TikTok at Troop Books, uh, where you'll find the link to the Ewing's Publishing, and you can pick up a hardcover or a softcover of How Nicholas Became Santa Claus. And hopefully next time, I will talk to you in conversations with the authors. Mm-hmm.